0: welcome to mtsu on the record i'm jenna loge and we're coming to you from the campus of middle tennessee state university in murfreesboro tennessee snake skin isn't something most people think about every day unless one is into fancy boots or accessories dr donald walker an assistant professor of biology and five colleagues have published a paper in the international society for microbial biology journal about fungal pathogens that affect a snake skin Walker and his colleagues tried to find out several things about this pathogen and we'll slide Walker and his colleagues tried to find out several things about these pathogens and we'll slide into the snake's habitat after this.
1: Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsu.news.com, the university's news and information website. MTSU has been named one of the best places in the nation to earn an undergraduate degree by the Princeton Review, which called it, quote, a go-to choice for those wishing to receive a quality and affordable education. This marks the first time MTSU was awarded a coveted spot in the Review's renowned guide The Best 385 Colleges. That's an honor given to roughly 13% of the nation's 3,000 or so four-year institutions. Only one other public institution in the state, the University of Tennessee-Knoxville, made the unranked list. In past years, MTSU has been included in the review's top list of schools from the southeast. The university remains on that regional list by virtue of its inclusion on the review's top national list. And MTSU alum Angie Grissom is among the 2019 recipients of a top National Achievement Award presented by the Beta Gamma Sigma International Business Honor Society. Grissom, who earned her Bachelor of Business Administration with an emphasis in marketing from the Jennings A. Jones College of Business, received one of three Beta Gamma Sigma Business Achievement Awards after being nominated by the MTSU chapter of the Honor Society. Grissom is president of the Nashville, Tennessee-based The Rainmaker Companies, a training, consulting, and alliances firm serving accounting and legal industries. Grissom's role involves high-level strategy, thought leadership, consulting, program and curriculum development, and employee direction. For MTSU News at any time, go to MTSU News. MTSU News.
0: Donald, welcome. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for the invitation. Yay. Are we talking about a particular species of snake?
2: Yeah, so actually we studied a variety of different snake species across the southeastern United States. Uh, Actually, more than about 20 different species. Um, But this research as a whole was focused in the state of Tennessee, uh, given the funding source. And uh, we did focus on one particular species of snake, uh, the timber rattlesnake. Mm
0: -hmm. And were you afraid to deal with uh, this particular venomous type yeah, of snake?
2: Right, right. So, yeah, I think this is a common misconception that these snakes are oftentimes aggressive. And, yes, they are venomous and they are dangerous. And if you don't know what you're doing, you should avoid them without a doubt. But, you yeah, these snakes are actually quite docile. Um, it's very difficult to provoke them, and make them aggressive. Um oftentimes we'd come just feet away from them uh, in the field and they don't even bother rattling at you to make you aware that they're present. It's really costly for them to use venom and so um, they're not interested in using venom on something that they can't eat or consume.
0: (laughs) Uh, Are we talking about specific types of bacteria?
2: Yeah, so... uh, The study as a whole focused on what we refer to as the skin microbiome, and so you and I and every other animal on planet Earth have these unique microbial assemblages that colonize our skin, and they provide us a variety of different benefits, um, such as an innate immune response to different pathogens. They're kind of our first line of defense, and so... Uh, We focused on the community as a whole, um, so not one specific type of bacteria, but oftentimes from the analyses that we conduct, we're able to infer uh, different taxa that may have a potential immune function or benefit for that particular species of snake.
0: Now, if the bacteria infect this particular snake's skin, what are the the symptoms? What does he experience? Yeah,
2: yeah. So, actually. The bacteria are beneficial. Um, So we kind of studied, it it was like a three-way interaction between the host microbiome, which are the bacteria, those are the beneficial players, the host, which is the snake, that's the snake's skin, Mm -hmm. um, and then a fungal pathogen uh, referred to as snake fungal disease. And so we're really interested in how the potential beneficial bacteria or the microbiome may actually help the snake out in light of this, um, this fungal pathogen uh, mm-hmm. called snake fungal disease.
0: And yeah. what sort of conclusions did you reach?
2: Oh, well, uh, as a whole, the uh, study was conducted across uh, s- several different spatial extents, is what we refer to them as. So you can kind of think of these as going outside into your yard and taking a very small snapshot of a very small space in your yard and studying just that tiny little space and trying to come to some set of conclusions. That would be similar to a single site that we visit. We drive up in the van, we get out, we try to find a snake, we sample that particular snake, we come to some set of conclusions based on that very small spatial extent. Then you can kind of scale outwards to a given ecoregion within the state of Tennessee. And you might think of this as your yard or your neighborhood as a whole. And so we make certain conclusions about that broader spatial extent or that particular Tennessee ecoregion. And then we can scale out even further to what we refer to as the macro scale level. And we can look at the Southeastern United States as a whole. And I think interestingly, probably you know, from its scientific standpoint, most interesting uh, would be that the patterns that we observed with respect to the microorganisms living on the snake skin and how we think they're affecting that particular pathogen held true across both broad to very fine-scale spatial extents. Um, So this kind of, um, I'd say, adds more weight to our conclusions as a whole, uh, that we um, feel confident that what we're observing is happening both in the yard or at the small spatial-scale extent, scaling out to the neighborhood and then scaling out to um, perhaps the city or the state as a whole.
0: And what yeah. was the ultimate impact on the snake that you, dis- uh, that well, you researched?
2: Yeah, we're, yeah, so we're still working on that right now in some more controlled studies where we can manipulate the microbiome and manipulate the pathogen uh, on the snakes themselves. Um, but we'd like to think that these microorganisms play a beneficial role in protecting the snake against the disease. But we're probably uh, a l- little bit too early to... It's a, it's a bit too early to state that at this time, but that's what we would like to to believe, and that's what we're currently investigating, just in a much more controlled setting, because it's really quite difficult to go out on the land snake landscape and really you only have a very brief glimpse into what's going on uh, with that particular snake at that particular time. You're not able to track these snakes; it's very difficult to track these snakes over time and get repeated samples on the landscape, so it's oftentimes much um, easier and beneficial to simplify the system by taking snakes into the laboratory and manipulating these things in the laboratory uh, to see if we can come to some of those conclusions, how the bacteria may actually benefit the snakes as a whole.
0: We'll take a break right here. We'll be back. This is MTSU On The Record.
3: The Intercultural and Diversity Affairs Center helps to promote awareness and understanding of the wide variety of cultures represented at MTSU. The center provides information, referrals, and resources. Additionally, IDAC tries to make students from different cultures feel welcome and comfortable on campus so they can have every opportunity to fulfill their academic, social, and personal potential. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Specialized training in forensic science prepares tomorrow's professionals through the Forensic Institute for Research and Education, or FIRE. The Forensic Anthropology Search and Recovery Team assists law enforcement with skeletal remains at crime scenes. Legendary forensic scientists provide lectures free to the public, and high school students work realistic crime scenes each summer at our CSI MTSU camp. I'm Dr. Hugh Berryman, Director of FIRE, for more details, visit
1: MTSUnews.com.
0: We're talking with Dr. Donald Walker, an assistant professor of biology, and uh, some research that he and his colleagues have conducted with regard to the impact of certain pathogens on uh, snake skin. Where exactly geographically did you conduct your
2: research? Yeah, so we studied um, intensively in the state of Tennessee and several different ecoregions in the state of Tennessee. Um, And then we scaled out to uh, include Alabama, Georgia, Florida, and uh, southeastern Texas
0: where this snake can be found also.
2: Yes, yes, so we studied a variety of different snakes, uh, upwards of 20-some species of snakes, basically whatever we encountered in the field. Mm -hmm. Um, And we find these snakes uh, in a variety of different ways. Oftentimes the easiest way to find them is by driving in a vehicle, and we refer to this as road cruising, Mm -hmm. where we have a driver and a passenger. The driver drives very slowly during the night with their high beams on and back roads. Uh, where there's not a lot of people, um, not a lot of cars, not a lot of disturbance. And we drive slowly, and when we see a snake on the road slam on the brakes, the passenger hops out and tries to restrain the snake, making sure that, of course, it's venomous if we use the appropriate methodology to uh, safely restrain it. Uh, But, yeah, main focus probably in, in the state of Tennessee, on a lot of back roads in Tennessee.
0: When you yeah. bring the snakes back to the lab mm-hmm. uh, do is it necessary for them to be alive or can they be dead can you take the skin off of them and examine yeah. just the skin that way yeah. what's the process
2: yeah, so all of the above actually um, so uh, the so snakes shed naturally um, and shedding is thought to actually be a way to help them remove this this fungal disease that's causing them issues by shedding they're able to get rid of um, the fungus colonizing uh, their skin, so we can sample shed skin. Um, everything we do currently is in a non-lethal manner, and uh, very minimally invasive aside from capturing the snake for a very short time period. Um, so what we're the way that we sample them is just simply take a Q-tip, referred to it as a sterile swab, and we streak that several different times down uh, the length of the snake, and then we use that swab to bring it back into the laboratory, and we use uh, molecular methodologies, including DNA extraction and high-throughput DNA sequencing, which is a really cool way to basically take and understand the complete microbial community on that Q-tip head or that swab head. It allows for us to produce millions of DNA sequences that are representative of each of these different bacterial taxa. and using intense bioinformatics approaches, kind of crunch all of these millions of DNA sequences into a meaningful biological story um, in microbial ecology. Now,
0: are the bacteria that are beneficial and the pathogens that are not beneficial both uh, native to the snake's habitat?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, so we don't know yet about the pathogen. I'd say we're Still trying to determine uh, what's going on with the pathogen, whether or not that fungus was introduced or whether it was native or endemic uh, to the southeastern in in eastern United States, um, or whether it was spread from somewhere else and now only causing a problem. Alternatively, it could just be um, a lack of representative sampling and monitoring over the years. It's um, we, we have some really cool and unique tools available to us now in molecular biology allowing for us to detect things that you couldn't you know back in the 80s <laughs> 70s and, and so um,
0: before Watson and Crick came yes, along exactly
2: yeah so um, with respect to the bacteria I mean I think we're really at kind of the tip of the iceberg right now with understanding these different bacterial communities, how they interact and how they affect disease outcomes, especially in wildlife species. There's more known and understood um, in humans, um, but Mm -hmm. much less with respect to these imperiled wildlife species. Mm
0: -hmm. Are both natural environmental factors and man-made environmental factors relevant in this case?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, we didn't quantify these, uh, but Yes, habitat fragmentation is probably one of the biggest concerns and biggest factors that put snake species and pearl snake species at risk when humans come in and they manipulate the landscape and take large areas of lands that were previously designated for wildlife to survive on and fragment that and build homes and shopping malls and parking lots. Um, yeah, these things very likely... Uh, cause stressors to the animal, and as a result, may affect disease outcome. Um, Yes, so, of course, much larger natural expanses of land are thought to be beneficial to um, animals as a whole, including snakes.
0: Does it matter the size of the snake? Does it matter the sex of the snake?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Sex of the snake, uh, we don't yet know. Um, It's kind of difficult to determine the sex of the snake given the way that you determine the sex of the snake, So they have what's referred to as a cloaca, where you find the sexual organs, and this also serves as a way that they um, excrete. Um, You have to internally probe them to determine, oftentimes internally probe them to determine whether or not they're male or female. Sometimes this is easy. um, Sometimes this is a bit more difficult, and oftentimes depends on um, the size of the snake, whether or not it's a hatchling or a juvenile or an adult. Mm -hmm. Um, so sex, we don't know yet. Um, and you ask me, what was the...
0: What was about the size of the oh, snake? the
2: size of the snake. Um, so this is something that we tried to standardize during field studies, um, is the size of the area that we actually swab. Um, it comes down to probably something more detailed than we need to talk about today. Mm, okay. But um, uh, size of the snake, I think with a data set that we're currently developing on the landscape in Tennessee. I think we should probably be able to answer some of those types of questions, both with sex and and size, after we complete a study in the next year, year and a half.
0: About how big, on the average, is an adult rattlesnake of this species?
2: Oh, goodness. Um, They can be the size of a one-lane street, uh, span across the entire
0: humongously long. Yeah,
2: very long. Yeah, yeah. Um, but oftentimes, we're not finding them that large. Uh, I'd say typically, maybe three feet, two to three feet. Um, but oftentimes, we find little hatchlings and juveniles as well, which are quite cute and <laughs> have really nice color patterns. But yeah, I'd say oftentimes, they unfortunately don't live to be uh, to be massive. And this is usually a result of humans finding them thinking that they're Problematic and venomous and dangerous, and uh, doing away with them.
0: Can you work with the hatchlings, or do you need just the adults?
2: Uh, We do work uh, with juveniles. Hatchlings are typically a bit too small for our sampling protocol. Uh, (laughs) So we're working with, uh, they oftentimes refer to them as like young of the year, year (laughs) one-year-old individuals. Uh,
0: But at least if you've got a two to three foot snake, uh you've got enough skin to deal with. That
2: that is, yeah, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, we try to standardize the sampling approach to sample only 15 centimeters of skin. It comes down to, we talked briefly about, Extent, but also what we refer to as grain size. Um, So the grain size is kind of that snapshot that you are sampling, and we want to standardize and make sure that we're sampling a 15 centimeter section of skin each and every time. Uh, So the snake, in short, the snake has to be a minimum of 15 centimeters long, which is about that long.
0: We'll take another break here. We'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. MTSU's Jewish and Holocaust Studies minor offers undergraduate students a chance to study the culture and religion of the Jewish people and the Holocaust in an interdisciplinary program. Studies include history and culture, theology and philosophy, and the arts and social sciences. Courses tackle vital topics central to local and global awareness, including multiculturalism and the meanings of diversity, religious tolerance, and genocide. For the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com.
3: The Tennessee Early Childhood Training Alliance, or TECTA, works to improve the quality of child care in Tennessee by establishing a statewide training and professional recognition system. Through TECTA, child care providers may be eligible for free orientation training, tuition support for early childhood academic courses, and networking opportunities, as well as other services. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com.
0: We're studying the effect of pathogens on snake skin with Dr. Donald Walker, who is an assistant professor of biology. Uh, a recently, a paper was published in the International Society for Microbial Biology journal by Dr. Walker and five academic colleagues what about the students who worked with you on this? Uh, what was the experience like for them from your understanding? What kind of feedback did they give you about yeah. their experience in working on this
2: project? Yeah, absolutely. So um, of the five colleagues that you mentioned, four of those are students. Uh, the first author on the paper is my first master's student. and there was, um, I think huh, his experiences were variable. Hmm. I think he had uh, great time in the laboratory uh, mm-hmm. using the different molecular methodologies, but really struggled in the field to find snakes. They're, they're not easy to find. They're mm-hmm. cryptic. They mm-hmm. like to hide. Um, so they're difficult to find. And if you can't find them, then you don't have samples, okay. which leads to a very difficult master's project. Um, the other two students um, on this publication love finding snakes, and they were exceptional at it. Um, they'd spend long hours in the field and they love spending the time in the field being able to sample and observe these animals in their natural habitat and really appreciate um, just the natural uh, history and ecology associated with these important animals. Uh, They're really quite critical for ecosystem processes as a whole. Um, They provide many benefits to humans in general that I think are often overlooked uh, because they are snakes and snakes oftentimes get a bad rap.
0: Well, every creature has its role to play in the ecosystem. And what types of research do you think that other scholars could use your study as a jumping off point for going in different directions using your work as a a basis of exploration
2: Hmm. with the
0: understanding that you guys are not done?
2: Yes, Yeah. (laughs) oftentimes uh, at the end of a project or when a paper is finally published, you're probably left with, more questions than answers. So we're starting to pursue some of those questions. Um, I'd like to think that the results from this paper can be used for wildlife conservation as a whole. Um, So TWRA, uh, Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency, uh, Tennessee uh, Department of Environmental Conservation, the TVA, uh, Tennessee Nature Conservancy can hopefully take these results. Their understanding of the distribution of snakes across the landscape we are not talking about the microorganisms here, but the snakes in general and which snakes are imperiled by this fungus and hopefully uh, protect populations of snakes that may be at risk of local extirpation or local extinction. Um, So I'd like to think that the government officials and we communicate routinely uh, with the government officials uh, to make sure that they're aware of the work that we're doing and make sure that or hope that they use these results to um, impact future management decisions.
0: Is this fungus common? Can it be found in other parts of the country besides the southeastern United States? Yes,
2: yes. So it's currently found in across the eastern United States, including both northeast and southeast United States, as well as in the Midwest. It has not yet been found in the western United States. Um, it's also been found um, in Europe.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh you know, it's it's difficult for uh, both the uh, uh, general public and the, sometimes the scientific community to be able to draw a bright line between the effect of certain things on certain creatures and certain habitats and the overall issue of climate change, mm-hmm. which is a political hot potato. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there any possibility that climate change might be a factor, even though that wasn't exactly within the purview of mm-hmm. what you and your colleagues were trying to accomplish? Mm-hmm. Uh, is there any possibility that climate change might be a factor in the growth of these pathogens?
2: Absolutely. Uh, with respect to snake fungal disease, we, we don't know that. Um, but for many other wildlife pathogens and many human pathogens as well, uh, we're seeing these patterns with increased warming in areas and um, winters becoming less less harsh and for shorter time periods of freezing we're seeing um, expansion of different pathogens into areas that they are that they weren't previously found or being able to resist these harsh winters that would typically suppress the overall load of the pathogen uh, so Yes, there's much more work to be done with respect to snake fungal disease, uh, but, you know, perhaps this could be a a valid hypothesis without a doubt Mm -hmm. that perhaps climate change is um, allowing for this fungus to spread into different areas that it previously wasn't found and colonize different snake species that previously were resistant to fungal uh, pathogenicity.
0: Is, Is this fungus particularly tough? Is it hardy? Can it withstand... Uh, yeah. different changes in climate?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, what's thought currently, um, still more work to be done, but what's thought currently is that it's a soil fungus. So it's found on the landscape and it's thought to overwinter in hibernacula where the, so during the winter snakes are ectotherms. They rely on their external climate to thermoregulate. They climb down into deep crevices in the rocks and mm-hmm. they hibernate so the fungus is thought to travel with them on their skin and um, infect them when their immune system is suppressed during hibernation in these different areas. So perhaps, maybe I guess you could think of the fungus as being tough, being able to follow these snakes into hibernacula and then emerge the following uh, season when they move back onto the landscape and track with them throughout the season. But um, yeah, we. We don't know that yet. Just okay. some hypotheses and some thoughts.
0: If the uh, people want to know more about this type of research, uh, how can they get in touch?
2: Yeah, I don't do much with social media. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't have enough time. But can, can people uh, email. email you? Yes, please yeah, email. Uh, yeah,
0: at Donald Walker at mtsu.edu. Yes, my
2: name Donald Walker at mtsu.edu. Yep. I'm happy to respond. Happy to mm-hmm. take samples if there's concerned citizens about different snake species. Instead of killing them, have my research team visit and and do some sampling. We can tell you something about the life history and disease state of your local snake population.
0: And what is your funding source, by the way?
2: Yeah, currently uh, the TWRA and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services are my funding sources for this particular work.
0: Great. Dr. Donald Walker, thank you for being with us. Yeah,
2: thank you for the invitation.
0: We'll be right back.
3: The Tennessee Employment Relations Research Association, or TERA, gives labor relations specialists and academics a chance to share their views and their data. TERRA wants academics and other interested in human resources and industrial relations to work together at meetings and conferences to strengthen the workplace. Many MTSU faculty belong to Terra, which has members in 20 states and seven nations. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The mission of the June Anderson Center for Women and Nontraditional Students is to provide education, advocacy, direct services, outreach, and programming for the MTSU campus and surrounding community on gender-related issues. The center also assists older students who are trying to balance work, college, and family. It also sponsors a monthly legal clinic, career brownback series, book club, and a newsletter twice a year. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com.
0: Jimmy Hart has the middle moment.
1: MTSU and City of Murfreesboro officials were joined by Senator Lamar Alexander, former Congressman Bart Gordon, and a crowd of campus and community supporters recently for a special ribbon-cutting. The long-awaited upgrade to Middle Tennessee Boulevard is finished, an $18.2 million project many years in the making. Here's MTSU President Sidney A. McPhee. And once what was somewhat of a dark and uninspired stretch of highway, one that could have been found almost anywhere in the country is now a beautiful thoroughfare. One I might add that's equal to any university in the community, the new gateway to this great institution.
0: That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program
3: about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com, Podcasts of this program are available at NTSUnews.com and on iTunes.